0: America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we, the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. The American dream comes from opportunity. The opportunity comes from our founding principles, our core values that are held together and protected by the Constitution. Those ideas are neither Republican, Democratic, conservative, liberal, white, or black. Those are American ideologies. Ted Yoho. Episode 14, Shane's American Story. You are in for a treat today. My guest is Shane Myler, the creator of the wildly successful Ninja Kids TV on YouTube. Shane, I really appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you, Tina. It's a pleasure.
0: Your story is the American dream, but it didn't start off so dreamy. Can you maybe take us back and share the beginning of your story?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to hit some bullet points. So I was born to parents who were raised in the, well, they were both members of the LDS church. They were married in the Salt Lake city temple seems to be going pretty well so far, but, uh, that they ended up having a, a pretty nasty, uh, three, four years of marriage and divorced when I was three years old and, uh, the divorce for many years, I always thought of divorce as like means a fight. I, I didn't really understand divorce meant like signing papers or, or whatever. Like I, I, cause I, I remembered the last time that my parents were together, we were in a car and they were fighting. My mom sprayed mace on my dad. She got out and took me and my sister. To uh, a store to call the police. I was sitting by the door when my dad came and grabbed me by the arm and pulled me outside. And I remember being yanked and my arm hurt, and and then mace ended up in my eyes. And and, and so every time I I think, oh yeah, I remember when my parents got divorced. That was what I was referring to. And you were three <laughs> it, or it was four. was that moment. I was three years old. Yeah. you
0: remember that?
1: Yeah. So. It, it's one of my earlier memories. I don't have a lot of memories uh, before that, but my memory is pretty solid from that point on in my life. So, um, so yeah, it, and I went with my mom. We She ended up remarrying pretty shortly after that. We moved out of state, didn't see my dad again for years. And uh, a few years later, I, let's see, 1987, I was like eight or nine years old and I challenged my mom. So my stepdad was out of town for work as a logger and I challenged my mom and I said, Hey, I think my radio, my little uh, boombox, is louder than your stereo. And she's like, no way. Mine's way louder. I'm like, well, let's test it. She said, no, the neighbors upstairs will get mad. I said, well, how about we just turn it up for one second and then we turn it back down. And she's like, okay, so we turned it up for one second, turned it back down. And a couple minutes later, a knock at the door and there's a woman coming down to yell at my mom for the radio being up loud. And then my mom went outside, came back a minute later with two black eyes and a cut in her forehead and blood coming everywhere. So she called the police and the police came, paramedics came, police wouldn't do anything. And they said that it was a mutual fight. Things were different back then. This was in Texas. So after that, my stepdad came back into town and she said, I want my kids to be able to, to defend themselves. So she put me and my sister into a Taekwondo class. So we, we did that class for about a month. And then my stepdad went away for another job uh, but then he, he didn't come back this time. So we moved from Texas to Utah.
0: Wait, he just didn't come back?
1: Right. <laughs> wow. So, so um, we moved from Texas to Utah. And by this point in my life, this was already like the fourth state that I had lived in. Um, I, and I started... Uh, my mom put myself and my sister into a Taekwondo school again here in Utah and, uh, she remarried not too long after that, had her fifth kid with her third husband and we, um, I continued to train. I got my black belt, uh, did some tournaments, started developing, uh, some goals to train, um, on a higher level, win national championships, and maybe compete in the Olympics someday. And through this, we were still moving around a lot, um, moved to Arizona for a while, came back to Utah after my mom's third divorce. And um, at this point, I started to, I was struggling in school, and not, not so much with the difficulty of it, but just with the motivation of trying to understand why it was important and understand what value I'm getting out of it, because I felt like I was getting more value from other parts of my life, especially my martial arts training than I was getting from school. And then my senior year, I got a letter in the mail. My mom handed me a letter from the school and it was addressed to me. I opened it. It said that if I didn't bring proof of vaccination, then I wasn't welcome to come back to school. And it was two weeks into the senior year. And so I said, well, I don't have proof of vaccination and I'm not very motivated to make that happen. So I just didn't go back. Nobody called, see uh, if I was coming back. My mom didn't put up much of a fight to get me to go back. So. At this point, I'm like, well, I guess I have more time to focus on my martial arts training. I can work on competing. I can work on learning how to teach better. So someday I'll become a martial arts instructor and I can spend more time developing those skills than now than I could when I was spending so much time in a desk in a classroom. So I did that. Uh, a couple years later, I Uh, was a head instructor at 19 years old. I I ran one of my instructor schools and I moved out of my mom's house, bought a condo in Salt Lake City. My mom and all my siblings moved to Texas right after that. And uh, so I was uh, pretty much alone and doing my thing, teaching, making not great money, but enough that I could support myself. And uh, a couple years after that, I ended up buying my instructor school, the f- same school that I trained at as a child. So I didn't have any money to actually buy it. Um, so he loaned me some money and I took out a loan for part of it. And then I started running it. But it, although it was a dream that I had worked on for many, many years, it was one that I didn't have all the skill sets to succeed at this point. And the school wasn't doing very well at this point. Uh, when I took over the school, it, it was not making money financially. So I did my best. I taught the best classes that I knew how, but I didn't really know how to do the other stuff. So I, I started teaching myself how to use computers so I could develop the the programs and how to um, – create the membership options and how to present and sell the membership options and how to uh, answer the phone, how to draft letters and emails and newsletters for the students. And so these were skills that I'm learning basically in a vacuum because the internet wasn't really, there wasn't YouTube where you could go do <laughs> tutorials and stuff like that.
0: It's a good thing you didn't so, try to start Ninja kids earlier,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I was, I'm trying to learn this stuff, but like I said, I'm, I'm isolated. I'm learning in a vacuum. I'm, I'm running this business without any, any guidance or any help. Uh, and, uh, it was tough. So at this point I had to, uh, sell my condo at a loss basically. Uh, cause I, I wasn't making the payments for a while and I just lived with whoever would let me live with them, friends or students. I'd sleep on couches or spare bedrooms And uh, I did this for uh, a couple of years. That's a long time. um, Yeah. So I met my wife and that was during this time. So I was like 24. I'd been running the school for about three years and it was improving. It was to the point where it was making money, not enough that I could support myself, but I mean, I could support myself just not, not if I had to, Pay for a place to live, right? So I could buy food and gas, and and uh, that was about it.
0: Nowhere to lay your head,
1: right? So um, I met my wife, and she's a good uh, LDS girl, raised in Sandy, Utah, and Riverton, I think, before that. And I was definitely not. The kind of guy she usually dated returned missionary, usually uh, somebody in college or with a college degree, uh, typically with a more stable background, but um, I must have been good looking enough for something because <laughs> she she eventually said yes <laughs> eventually she said yes, and we got married actually one year to the day from the day that we met so we we had a we a, a long Dating period, well, not super long, but about uh, seven, eight months of about eight months of dating, I think, and and then a fairly short engagement. And she started martial arts shortly before we got married. Uh, she started Taekwondo. So back then it was just Taekwondo that we taught pretty much. Eventually we evolved and started teaching other styles and learning other styles. So it's more of a mixed discipline now. So we still have just that school, but once we got engaged, we needed to raise some money. So we got multiple jobs. I, I sold elect or let's see, she sold electronics at Sears. I sold sporting goods. She was also a a busser. Uh, it's not a bus boy, but but a busser at a restaurant. And uh, she worked at a hotel. I also worked for my dad because he gave me so I, I didn't grow up with my dad, but he lives in Utah. So Uh, I I developed a relationship with him uh, later on in life, and uh, so I owed him some money because he helped me get the loans for the martial arts studio in the first place four years prior, so I was working for him to try to pay him back, so I'm running the school, have multiple jobs, and we get married, and we still have multiple jobs, and then shortly after we get married, we're expecting our first child, and... Then nine months into our marriage, I opened a second martial arts studio. And not because the first one was going so great, but more or less because I had some assistant instructors that I was paying and I couldn't really afford to pay them. So I thought if I had a second studio, they could go there and maybe make enough money to pay for themselves. <laughs> so the, um, once I opened the second studio, my instructor came to me and he said, oh, I see you have a second studio. You must be doing well. That means you need to pay me all the money that you still owe me. <laughs> Oops, back so, tired, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, well, uh, I don't know if I can do that. And he's like, okay, well then uh, let me buy the school back from you. And I'm like, okay, sold. So I sold the school back to him. And we uh, shortly after that, we downsized to having just one school and no job. So It was nice to have no jobs in one school. We were able to focus on that, but we still didn't have much money. And we had the opportunity to purchase our building and get out from renting. But we had to come up with a down payment of $34,000, which at the time was an unheard of amount of money to me. So we, we were saving up and we decided to move into the martial arts studio while we were saving up the studio didn't have proper facilities. So we, we put a refrigerator in there and a crib, and then we blew up a mattress every night for a place to sleep, and then we rolled it up every morning so the students didn't see that we lived there. Uh, we couldn't afford, it's a big warehouse kind of space, and it would be a fortune to heat and cool it outside of business hours in the winter and summer, so we would just cuddle up next to a space heater, which doesn't work very good in a huge warehouse um, in the winter. And then in the summertime, we had just not use blankets. <laughs> so, oh, my
0: gosh.
1: Um, there was no shower, so we got a membership at Gold's Gym. And then we would go work out, shower, and uh, we, we did that pretty often.
0: How long did you live in the studio?
1: We did that for one year. Wow. And... That was enough time to save up money to buy the building. And the school had been improving at this time. So we ended up buying a house uh, back then you could get a house on stated income with zero down. So that's what we did, uh, which made it a lot easier, but also, you know, scary to, we didn't even know if we could afford it. <laughs> and that was the house in Harriman. Okay. Um,
0: Why did you and, not ever give yeah.
1: up? Well,
0: a lot of people would have given up. I would have given
1: up. <laughs> yeah. So, but the thing is, it's like, what does giving up mean? There, In that scenario, giving up means that I, what, go work at Seven Eleven. 11 I don't have an education. I don't have any other work experience. Um, you know, I, I worked at these other jobs when we were engaged in newly married, but I certainly didn't want to do that full time, uh, but I thought about it a lot, you know, my, my rent at that first studio was $2,000 a month. And I didn't even make nearly what I was paying in rent to keep for myself many months. I actually spent more than I made so I was using credit cards just to keep the the business alive and there were many times that I had nightmares about the studio and teaching there and being there and feeling trapped by it and so really it went from a lifelong childhood dream to literally giving me nightmares and I thought often well what if I just the money because I would build up a few thousand dollars each month and then bills would come and it would be all gone so I thought well what if I save up four or five thousand dollars and then I just like leave (laughs) and don't pay my bills that month that would be the most money that I've had at one time and um that money obviously wouldn't have lasted very long. And, and then I'm like, well, if I did that, then what? I just go work at 7-Eleven or, or McDonald's or something. Yeah. So I, I didn't really feel like I had any other options. Uh, as bad as, or as frustrating as it was, it was still, to me, it was, it was better than those other options. Uh, I would have made more money working at 7-Eleven or McDonald's, but I had far less potential.
0: When did you start to see things turn around? What was that point?
1: Well, it's all, it's all perspective. So just trying to be optimistic and not even trying, but just when you don't have a lot to start with, then you can be optimistic very easily. And the first week that I ran the studio, I remember telling my dad, I made $700 this week and being super excited about that because somebody paid in full for a few months. And he's like, you, you mean $700 a day this week? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, no, $700. He's like, will that even pay your bills? I'm like, uh, I think so. <laughs>
0: I was excited for a minute, dad. <laughs>
1: yeah so it's just it's all perspective and and with every every time things would start to improve I I could see that they weren't improving just because they were improving because I learned something because I implemented something because I researched information um, I because I became better so every increase was as a direct result of what I was able to create and put into it. And that's motivating because you don't get that in an entry level job. If I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's and I'm the best burger flipper there, I probably don't make a lot more than the other burger flippers. If anymore, right. <laughs> I, I could be three times better than the other burger flippers, but I'm not going to make three <laughs> times the money. Right. And, And there's only a limit for how much better I can get as a burger flipper. (laughs) So even if they did pay me three times the money, it's not like I could become a hundred times better than the other burger flippers. That's just not possible. Right. So it, it was nice to not have a ceiling that I look back on with our culture and our education system is it, it teaches to have a ceiling and the whole grading system teaches to have a ceiling. So if you're getting A's or A pluses, well, that's great. And you're praised and everybody thinks you're so smart and, and you feel good about yourself, but ultimately you're likely developing a perfectionism syndrome. And you're also giving, given a false ceiling. And in life, if, if you're used to having that ceiling of perfection in life, you're going to have a hard time not having that feeling of perfection. And if you're working for somebody who is giving you a pat on the back and giving you your, your paycheck and maybe a bonus here or there or something, then you can have that ceiling. But if you're a business owner, you don't get a ceiling. For somebody who's used to striving for straight A's and used to having that perfection, so to speak, It can feel very discontent Mm. to be in an environment where that's unachievable.
0: There's a security with the ceiling too, right? Exactly. A false security anyway.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It, It makes you feel good when you're at the top. But when you work for yourself, there's no top. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be a challenging thing because if you are an ambitious person, you don't stop. (laughs) You never stop. It's like if there was like in school, if they didn't give grades, then there would be people who far exceed what it takes to get an A plus. I agree. And right now it's rare that anybody's gonna far exceed what it takes to get an A plus because that would just be a waste of their energy as far as what they're taught. Um, But when you have no grading system, there's going to be people that just like do a hundred times what it takes to get an A plus. And those are the millionaires and billionaires in our culture.
0: What does it take to become an eighth degree black belt?
1: Uh, well, it depends on the system. Martial arts is completely unregulated. So there's a lot of high level black belts that maybe didn't have to do very much to achieve it. I, Uh, was like I said I was part of a Taekwondo system and after receiving a few degrees I, I earned my fourth degree in Taekwondo when I started to become discontent with the challenge so at that point I started looking into other systems and other martial arts and I started seeing that some of the highest level most respected martial artists in the country were diversified and advancing in several different systems of martial arts. So I started doing this and then I joined somebody who is at the top of that, who his name's Ernie Reyes senior, and he's done a lot of movies in the past and his son was a big movie star. And, um, but he's not just, uh, in movies. He is a diehard 365 days a year, martial arts fanatic. And he's 74 years old right now, and he actually has stage four incurable prostate cancer. Ugh, and he still awful. trains every day and gives value to the, associ- the association every day, sends me messages on a regular basis. So I joined him in 2006, and this was after we already had our second school and we, we had uh, a couple of kids. And this was an evolution for me. And I have had many um, evolutions and mentors and role models who helped me go from one stage to the other. And often I felt like I was at the top. Often I hit that false ceiling. I'm like, I am so awesome. I'm just rocking it. (laughs) And then I expand my horizon and I I look at uh, what else is out there. And I say, oh man, I thought I was doing so great, but they're (laughs) way beyond where I am. And, and then I learn and advance and, and continue to expand to the point where now I see that there, there's no ceiling and I don't want to hit a ceiling. I don't want to hit a false ceiling. Although it can create a sense of comfort, that comfort can really hold you back in life as well. How many,
0: how many degrees are there in Black Belt?
1: Most systems have 10 degrees of Black Belt. So Ernie Ray is senior. Just tested for his 10th degree black belt last year. And I tested for my eighth degree black belt alongside him.
0: Do you want to get your 10th degree? Is that what your goal is?
1: Oh, you know what? When I was nine years old, I made a goal to get my 10th degree black belt. And I estimated that I would get it when I'm 53 years old. That's in 10 years from now. You're on track then, right? So that. (laughs) It's, it's possible. Yeah. But um, I, I would love to get my 10th degree black belt. But the biggest thing is I, I want to earn it. And my example for how to earn it is Ernie Ray senior. He's my best example. And being able to follow into the example that he set for earning his 10th degree black belt is a very high standard to achieve yes i want to earn it but i also want to be worthy of it when i do
0: how many tenths degrees are there only a certain is it a very small number that are tenth degrees in the world
1: yeah it is a small number but like i said it's there's no official regulation right so it's it's self-regulated so there's okay. people who can make themselves a tenth degree black belt uh-huh. in in you know whatever style or whatever system okay. or, or something like that. So not all black belts are equal. Okay. It, it's gotcha. up to the individual, it's up to the system. It's up to yeah, there there's a lot of differences in there. And the reason that I joined Ernie Reyes was because he was the most dedicated and and had the highest expectations. He was a martial artist first, a teacher second And a businessman third and most people once they get to that level of success in business they become a businessman first Mm, a teacher second and a martial artist third
0: right you have five children correct yes are all five in martial arts
1: yes so we started them young and that was one thing i was concerned about because a lot of people struggle with teaching their children And I saw it even with my Korean Taekwondo master, his kids didn't really seem to appreciate it. And they, his son continued to do it into his adulthood. I was actually his student when his son was born. Uh, So I knew him growing up and he ended up taking over one of his dad's studios, but he never really had a passion for it. Eventually he closed down and stopped doing it actually just last year during COVID. And I always wanted to teach my kids, but I wanted them to have the same passion for it that I did. So I thought, well, then I've got to put them on the, like have them do the same things I did. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, and I used Ernie Reyes as an example. His kids all became very successful in their martial arts careers. So I said, and he started teaching them very early. So I used his example as uh a role model for doing that. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get my kids involved early. And we've had good results and and they enjoy it. And my older four kids are black belts. My oldest Brighton, he is a fourth degree. Ashton's a third degree and my twins are first degree black belt and they're 12 years old. So they actually got their first degree black belt two years ago, two, two and a half years ago. So um, they all do that and they are all competitive gymnasts and a couple of years ago we were reached out to by someone who said we're launching this new show called the best kids obstacle course we want your kids to audition here's 40 pages of application and you also need to give three video submissions for each kid And my wife's like, whoa, this is a lot. I'm like, yeah, don't do it. It's probably not worth it.
0: (laughs) It's a good thing she didn't listen to you, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So so she did it and they contacted us and they said, we want all four of your kids to do it. And by the way, we can use the official name now. It's American Ninja Warrior Junior. Mm. So we got excited or my wife was really excited when she told me and I'm like, well, that's great, but... They don't know how to do that just because they've done martial arts and gymnastics doesn't mean they know how to do ninja. So we started training. They had about three weeks to train. Well, three of them had three weeks to train Ashton, my second oldest, he only had one week to train because he got his appendix out two weeks before the day he competed. They started training and then they went to the show and they competed that was their first competition and their first race was on american ninja warrior junior and they were competing against kids who had been competing for years and they all did well they were all able to complete a race i knew that the older the kids were the more challenge they yeah. would have because Wrighton, he was competing in the 13 and 14 year old division and so the kids he's going with obviously had the potential to have trained for much longer. Um, He didn't win a race but he completed the course. A lot of people couldn't even complete the course and it's a side by side race so a little different than the adult show and Ashton won a race but then he couldn't get up the wall on his next race and he was definitely not at one hundred percent. The doctor passed him off and said that he'd probably be a little weak and a little tired, but uh, the doctor said he could do it. The doctor here in Utah said he could do it. <laughs> doctor there, uh, we won't go into we won't go into that. We we just tried to not bring up anything they didn't directly ask.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: So, and, and then Paxton and Peyton both won three races and made it to the top sixteen. They were in the same division with each other. And then they were both so tired at that point because they had to keep racing every time they won. They'd have oh, to wow. go again. And by the fourth race, they, they both fell in the water on the last obstacle. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Tell me how Ninja Kids TV was born. How did that come about?
1: Well, we started Ninja Kids TV in 2017, so almost exactly four years ago. Um, YouTube came about and well, I had always been interested in movies, television, commercials. I used to ask my mom, Hey mom, can will you go sign me up to be in commercials and stuff? And she said, I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, YouTube started to come around, I was interested in it and thought about how to do it. So we actually went to Central America for two months in 2012. And I thought, hey, it would be great if we could travel and make like a family travel vlog. So I invested in some camera equipment and some computers, and we uh, we went down there. I'd been working on editing skills and camera skills for for a few years, while and and I use those skills to film curriculum DVDs at my studio. We went to Central America, and a couple weeks into the trip, the house one of the houses we were staying in, we moved around from place to place a lot but one of the houses we stayed in got burglarized i think the owner had something to do with it honestly and all of our electronics got stolen along with all the videos we had made to that point so i was completely heartbroken we thought about ending the trip early yeah completely devastated and and we thought about leaving early and then um i'm like all right you know what Let's enjoy the rest of this trip and, and we'll just turn it around. And one thing that really helped me change my mindset during the trip up to that point, I was spending a fair amount of time staring at screens, either camera screens, computer screens, phone screens, whatever. And now that everything was stolen, I had no screens to stare at. And at this point we had moved to a tent hostel and there was a bunch of young people who were staying in the common area and they were all sitting, either by themselves or, or with another person, but they weren't interacting. They were all staring at their screens. And we, my family, none of us had any screens. So we're looking around and I'm <laughs> thinking, you know what, we're in par- a tropical paradise. It's so beautiful here. And the only thing people are looking at is these glowing devices. Yeah. And and now we're not. <laughs> so we we got to really immerse in the experience became one of our family's most powerful, awesome memories. Um, However, the sting of losing all that equipment didn't go away right away. So I I didn't touch a camera or anything for almost a year after that. And then I got the bug again, started doing it. But when we came back from that trip, it's like, okay, if we're not going to do it, let's go to a talent agency and see if we can work on some acting skills and maybe do some uh, commercials and stuff. So we did a little of that. My oldest son, Brighton, when he was 10, he starred alongside Corbin Bernson in a feature Christmas movie.
0: The Last Straw with and Rob Diamond. I know him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was fun. And we thought, Hey, this is such a big opportunity. I'm sure it's going to lead to so many more opportunities and it, it didn't really lead to anything. So about three years passed in this time. And I was trying to help with projects and I wanted to be a fight choreographer, you know, use my martial arts for something uh, different to kind of expand my horizons. So I'm trying to offer my services for movies or even like YouTube videos and stuff. And I got to do a few things, but I learned that there were, there was a team of much younger, much more, experience in fight choreography and stunts than I was and they took any job that was worthwhile yeah (laughs) so I'm like well the last straw so to speak of this was we were driving to a gymnastics meet in Las Vegas and I got an email from a YouTube creator who I offered to help do the stunts for free just so I could be a part of it and they um, sent me an email that since I was out of town, they replaced my services and they don't need me to come back. And I was pretty frustrated to get fired for something that I offered to do for free.
0: <laughs> That's got to when you hit bottom, huh? When you get fired and you
1: were going to do it for yeah. free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't even really excited about the project. I just wanted to be involved and, and gain experience and yeah. make connections. Of course. So At this point, Allie's like, well, we can turn around. You can still do it. I'm like, no, I I, want to do it on my own terms. I looked at her and I said, look up the next movie that's coming out that has martial arts in it. She said, Power Rangers comes out in four weeks. I said, all right, then in four weeks, we're going to have a Power Rangers video on a brand new channel. Switch places with me so I can start writing the script. So I started writing, I had never written a script before and I was not good at it, it's horrible. My first few scripts, it, it was like a sixth grader. <laughs> so um, I kept going and I, I stopped like almost completely, stopped uh, any type of external entertainment, stopped watching television, stopped doing social media, stopped doing anything that distracted me from my goal. And I started to get ideas started to feel inspired things started to, to flow and I started to get excited about it. And I kept writing for a couple of weeks while at the same time I'm trying to produce and decide and figure out locations and costumes and choreograph fight sequences and and decide who the actors are going to be. And I gave myself that deadline and I had originally this big vision of what it's going to look like. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have costumes and monsters and visual effects and all this stuff, cool locations. And I'm 10 pages into the script and I'm like, okay, I can't make this any longer and still make my deadline or my $2,000 budget that I set for myself. So I'm like, well, this is it. I guess this is the end of the script and I'm just going to have to end it at this point and it's it was a very strange place to end it (laughs) so like I said it's it's a power rangers fan film basically yeah but it we I created it like a uh sorry what's it called when um like an origin story so Mm. I created it as an origin story but you can't really have much of an origin story and get to anything meaningful in 10 minutes. (laughs) So basically, the video ended before they even knew they were Power Rangers. The word Power Rangers was never even said in the video.
0: (laughs) Can I stop you here for a second? Because two things already have really impacted me about your story. From the first time that you picked up the camera, then your camera equipment was stolen, until you actually made that first video, we're talking what, like three, four years? Um, let's
1: see, 2012 to 2017, so five years. That, and a half, yeah.
0: that That's powerful right there, I think. Because for anybody, oh, Ninja Kids TV, blah, 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 blah. But this was something that took years in the making, something of struggling, of trying to create, trying to understand what you want, to do, it's not an overnight success thing
1: at all. Yeah, and number yeah, two, absolutely. I I had been working on my camera skills and my editing skills and everything um, since like 2006, so it, it was not just picking up a camera one day.
0: Yeah, and the other thing, really quick, and then please go on with your story, is the fact that you had to put out C plus work, and I hear that a lot from different entrepreneurs. You cannot wait until you get a plus because if you wait to get to that a plus that ceiling, whatever, so to speak, you're never going to put
1: out anything. So you have Um, to take action. Yeah. I, I made a few other videos that are on kind of an obscure channel and I, I didn't make those for the point of making a successful YouTube channel. I just made them for fun and experience And, you know, they never really did well or or got many views, but I couldn't have made what I made with Ninja Kids had I not made those previous.
0: What was the reaction from your first video? Did this give you any idea of, hey, this is something we really need to explore?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I had to put out of my mind was the expectation of making a financial return. Because that kept making me procrastinate. And eventually the way I was able to stop procrastinating was to put it in The scope of education. Just like with with college with school when people think about investing in their education. There's no guarantee of a financial return. It's something that they're investing in their own skills and abilities. And then they're, in fact, you don't get a financial return at all from your college money. You're just investing in your own skills and then your skills give you the return later on. But the money that you put into your college education gives zero financial return. Um, And and so I basically put the idea of getting a financial education or a sorry, a financial return out of my mind. And I said, I'm going to look at this as college. I didn't go to college. So I can spend a couple thousand dollars on my education. I can make this video. I put about a hundred hours into it that month. For a 10 and, minute video. Yep. So it's
0: no small thing. It's, it's a
1: huge investment in time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a couple thousand dollars, a hundred hours. And I did everything that I knew how to make it successful. But ultimately I had to eliminate the thought that I would get my money back. Otherwise I would have procrastinated too much and kept second guessing my decisions. And even the day we were shooting it, I told my wife, we spent a couple thousand dollars on this. And she said, are we going to get that money back? I said, Nope. So, but the whole time, honestly, there's only three things in my life that I felt strongly inspired to do one was uh, martial arts two was to marry my wife and three was to start this channel and the whole time I'm writing the script not every time I wrote the script but there were times when I felt inspired through the process there were times when I felt like an idiot too like I what am I writing (laughs) And, and then you know not giving up they would turn around And then i'm writing this uh or we're shooting the script and i hired somebody to come and hold the camera and the mic because i was so busy directing so busy doing the fight choreography that um i I knew i couldn't do everything so i hired a couple guys that i just met the day they came and i'm telling them i'm like i have a really good feeling about this like i feel inspired like this is going to do something and they just met me that day, so they're just, like, nodding their heads, like, yeah, we're just here for the paycheck. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, You know, they don't know if I'm, like, some quack that says that all the time, right?
0: <laughs> well, you know, no one thought Star Wars was going to work either. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yep. that, that's definitely worked and on a, a much a bigger level than, than <laughs> what we've done so far, but <laughs> – but regardless, we, we probably have more views than they did after four years, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but that was only one movie too. So <laughs> well,
0: you release, so, you anyway, release the video and what happens?
1: We released the video and you know, no, there, we have no subscribers, so it's not getting any views. I subscribe with like five of my channels <laughs> <laughs> and like five of my email accounts. So <laughs> my first five subscribers and I, I tell I tell all my Facebook friends and family, hey guys, come subscribe, check it out. So then I get like 25 subscribers, a hundred hours on this thing. And my friends and family won't spend 10 minutes to watch it. Oh my gosh, how you many know? people it, can relate just, to that? Honestly, it felt like such a blow, right? Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I think a lot of people so, can totally relate. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And of like my 500 Facebook friends and, and all my family members, I had like, 10 people watch it (laughs) that I knew of my family. So I'm like, all right, I've got to bribe my students to watch it. So I tell my students to watch it. And if they watch it, I'll give them a dollar. If they watch it, a dollar, if they comment, a dollar, if they subscribe, a dollar, if they share a dollar, if they turn the notifications on. So altogether they could earn like $7. And that was dojo dollars. So it's not real money. So I start having, all these students come in and telling me that they, like with this checklist, look, look I did all of this except for the comment. And I, I tell them that, uh, so eventually, you know, I'm, I'm shelling out all these dojo dollars. And then I start to realize, one, people are coming in a second time around. And two, if they're not commenting, <laughs> I have no way to verify it. You're like, I've seen you in here before. <laughs> Yeah. The, the only thing I can verify is if they comment. So I'll, I say, okay, commenting is mandatory. <laughs> and, and then it slowed way down. So I'm pushing it everywhere. <laughs> and, funny. and after three weeks, we've gotten 2000 views and, and then it starts to slow down a little bit. I'm like, well, that, that was kind of cool. That was a good run. You know, 2000 views is, is pretty cool. We have about a hundred subscribers. And then the next day, we were actually at Black Belt Test in California. The next day, we get 5,000 views in one day and it's like, whoa, what happened? So we're super excited. Comments start rolling in, subscribers start rolling in. And then the day after that, we get 10,000 views.
0: Oh my and goodness.
1: And then the next day we get 50,000 views. How does that The next day we get, get 100,000 views. So we started to get into the algorithm. So everything that I was doing helped to show the algorithm that we existed. And then the algorithm, so basically what the algorithm does is it looks for videos that are being watched. And then it, if they're being watched, then it starts to share it with more people. And then after more people watch it, then it shares, if they watch it for long enough, then it YouTube says, okay, not only are they watching it, but it has a good watch time. Right. Let's share it with more people. And then it starts to expand and share it with more and more and more. And then when people stop watching it, then it pulls back. And it,
0: after a week, how, how, many, it how many watches did you have? So
1: it, it kept going up for about a week until it hit about a million views a day.
0: You're kidding me. That is nope.
1: astronomical. So, yeah. So we were super excited. And around this time, we started to think we don't have any other videos. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to last we, forever, right? On this one yeah. video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I started writing another Power Rangers, but the second one was even more ambitious than the first one. It, it cost me about four times the four or five times the money. It took me a couple of months to make it. It had costumes and it had locations and it it was, it was basically closer to what I wanted the first one to be still not even putting them both together. That would have been like a 30 minute video still fell short of what my original vision was. And so that's one thing that I tell people is whatever your vision is, keep chopping down at it until you have something you can actually do. Mm. And then no matter how stupid it feels by that point, <laughs> how how ridiculous it feels, do it anyways. That's wise. <laughs> and so, so that's basically w- once I got the script done, I'm like, I like the script, but if it's such a like a shadow of what I originally wanted to make that it just feels so insignificant. But after one year, it had 75 million views.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's insane. Was that even more than you could ever expect?
1: Yeah, it it totally blew me away. I mean, there was definitely some hurdles and obstacles along the way. Um, But still, I was was super, like, blown away and, and excited. And so, I I think it was about uh, two, two and a half months later that we uploaded the second episode. And that one did really well also. That one is actually still getting tens of millions, or sorry, not tens of millions. It's still getting hundreds of thousands of views a day, three and a half years later.
0: Tell us where you are now. It's 2021. Where is Ninja Kids? What's happening with Ninja Kids TV?
1: Uh, so Ninja Kids TV has over 12 and a half million subscribers. We have uploaded just over 200 videos and we have over 5 billion views. We have a toy line that has released nationwide in Walmart and Target. It's also in several other countries like the United Kingdom, Singapore, and uh let's see what else we have a ninja kids club program that is um done by kids around the world so there's an app they can sign on to the app they can do tutorials to learn skills and it's for all ages whoever wants to learn the skills i encourage families to do it together if they can we always say families that kick together stick together and that's you know from our my martial arts Foundation, it, it's for any age, and it can bring families together when they have something like that that they can do together. We um, teach a Zoom class for that as well. so we have partners who run that Zoom class and then myself and my kids, we actually teach the Zoom class class ourselves once a month.: uh, Four
0: of your kids, four yeah. of them have their own channels or do all five? Don't they each have their own channels yeah. as well?
1: Yeah. So four of them have their own channel and they are so four out three out of the four are over a million subscribers and one's about to break a million. I just started a brand new channel a month ago called the Ninja fam and it has over a hundred thousand subscribers now. So, um, we're, we're trying to ramp up our, our production and, and our quality and, and keep things going. It, it has massive potential that we're we're still working on handling the growth and increasing our bandwidth so that we can continue to offer value and um, maximize that potential.
0: What do you think has attracted so many viewers? What is it that appeals to kids? Why are they watching Ninja Kids?
1: Well, I, I think... It, my goal with the channel and with the videos really wasn't to make kids videos. It, it was to make something that I wanted to watch and, and, and something that families could watch together. So one of my challenge or one of my inspirations was seeing my kids watch YouTube videos that I didn't want them to watch. For generations, parents have been mad at their kids for watching too much TV or playing video games. And I think with every generation, it gets worse because there's more access to Mm, it, there's more entertainment. And some of the stuff that they watch is just mind-numbingly horrible and dull. And and like, it's very popular for people to watch other people play video games.
0: (laughs) My kids do that, yes.
1: And my kids were watching other people play Minecraft and I'm like, why are (laughs) you watching that? And at first I'm like, well, Minecraft is a game where you build stuff and you're creative. So that's kind of cool. But then they wouldn't go and build the stuff that they were watching other people build. So I would get frustrated and say, okay, well, if you're not going to build it, then why are you watching it? And they said, Oh, we just want to watch it. And I'm like, okay, we've got to make something to, <laughs> to, you know what, how about you stop being on the entertainment side and start being on the creator side? Yeah. And that was one of the things too, that kept, that kept me from watching television and all of this other stuff during that time when I was making the first video is I was watching television and I got done watching it and I'm like, okay, I just consumed, Uh, 30 minutes or an hour of television. And it probably took somebody several months or even years to create what I just watched. And I just consumed it in less than an hour. Mm -hmm. So who's getting the most value out of that? Me as a consumer or them as the creator? If they're going to put a year into their creation, they must be getting way more value than I am just sucking it up as a consumer. So I did my best to try to keep them from consuming like that.
0: I know that you are passionate about America. I follow you on Facebook and I've seen a lot of your posts. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to get in touch with you because I know that you have strong feelings for America. And do you think being an American being born in America has allowed you to have these opportunities that you might not find in other places in the world.
1: Yeah. You know, I've traveled all around the world. I've been in every continent except for Antarctica. And I love so many parts of the world and so many other countries have so much to offer, but, uh, America was built on exceptional principles and those those principles offer more potential than the world has ever experienced and it's it's not by mistake that america became the most powerful nation on earth you know it, it's obviously had its mistakes even after those principles were founded they weren't always following those principles it obviously had struggles with with slavery and and some civil rights issues and stuff like that but once america started embracing the principles that they were founded on the principles of the constitution and the declaration of independence then we really started to experience that massive growth and and the growth every time we really embrace those principles we had more growth and it just exploded every single time and the places that embraced the principles last like the south versus the north the north didn't have slavery and the economy is booming and the south is struggling and But yet, they still didn't want to give up their old ways. Um, When I travel to some other countries, I I see things that I love. Obviously, there's a lot of other countries that have way better beaches than the United States does. (laughs) But the opportunities are more difficult to come by. And uh, being in America growing up, in poverty, and even spending time in homeless shelters, and even spending time in foster care as a child, I was able to overcome those things. And definitely I had some privilege that not everybody has. I was able to have uh, martial arts and the desire to do it. And I, I embraced that and I maximized that, that privilege. But there were thousands of other people who did martial arts right alongside me who had that privilege also and just quit didn't do anything with it so i i think that the majority of people have privileges in this country that they could use to really create something special it doesn't mean it's their fault necessarily or not completely their fault if they don't because there's risk and there's challenge and even if you put yourself out there you could fail you know if COVID would have happened when I had my martial arts school in the first few years, I can't imagine that I wouldn't have failed. I wasn't sophisticated enough to be able to get PPP loans and, and all this other stuff back then. So there's definitely, um, things that could have happened that would have caused me to, to not succeed. But, but ultimately I don't know That I could have done that in most countries. And I remember talking to some of my French students who were telling me in France, you don't have to pay for martial arts lessons because all of the martial arts instructors are employed by the government. And they thought that was so great. And I'm like, so you're telling me that if I was in France, I couldn't have my own business? And they're like, well, maybe you could, but it probably wouldn't be very easy or successful because everybody could just go do it for free. Yeah. So why would they pay you to do it? So, uh, and and we have a little bit of that to a certain degree in this country, but it's just, it's not as severe, you know, um, rec centers are subsidized and people can go take cheaper lessons, but they're also much cheaper quality. So, so that does exist here it's just not as severe if it existed like it did in a lot of other countries it just totally inhibits the ability to grow and the ability to have business sure you might think it's it's great if you're getting something for free but you're not getting something that's very good for free yeah and you're also preventing yourself from really being able to rise up in society if i lived in france as a martial arts instructor I could have never had the growth that I had through all of my challenges and tribulations. I would have not had those challenges. I would have just been getting an hourly wage or whatever. And, and my, my ability to think my ability to understand business, my ability to communicate with people and become the best teacher that I could to maximize my results. It would have been impossible for me to have those had I been an employee of government employee of another business owner it would have been somewhat like that but i still would have been able to grow because i would have been under a business owner who was trying you know trying to teach me those those principles and those lessons if i'm just under the government there's nobody above me who's trying to achieve those things
0: You've pretty much answered my last question that I'm going to ask, but I want you to summarize it, if you will. What does America mean to Shane?
1: There's two parts of that. There's what I believe America is supposed to mean, and then there's the other side of it that a lot of people are fighting to destroy what I think America is supposed to mean. I agree. So what I think America is supposed to mean is – is freedom. I grew up being very patriotic, especially in Texas. They really instill a lot of patriotism in the school system um, for Texas and for the United States. Uh, Fortunately, there's not as much of that in Utah, in the Utah schools that I also went to. Um, But I believe America stands for freedom. I believe America stands for opportunity. And I believe America stands for hope. But when we try to turn that around and say that America stands for guarantees, we destroy everything else. I'm not against safety nets, but I think they have to be left in check. I think that there's got to be a hierarchy of safety nets and it's got to start with yourself doing everything you can. And then it falls to your family and then it falls to your friends and your community and then it falls to charities. And then at the very bottom of that list, it falls to the government. But in so many ways, people want the government on the top. And that causes a serious problem and a serious imbalance as an employee you might think it's great if you get a 15-hour minimum wage guarantee if you're an entry-level employee or you're a high school kid who wants to go out and get a job heck if you're high in high school making 15 bucks an hour you're a superstar and now they want to guarantee that for high school kids even so it's it's crazy but As a business owner, was I guaranteed minimum wage? Is any business owner guaranteed minimum wage? No, I worked for less than minimum wage. Sometimes I worked for free. Sometimes I had to pay for the right to work. And higher level positions have to do that too. If you're going to be a doctor, do you get minimum wage right away? Well, and let me break that down. First of all, you have to pay. To become a doctor, you have to dedicate years and years and years of your life, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get to the point where you can be a doctor. And then you have to go into an internship program. And you're not making a lot of money as an intern. In fact, you're still paying for the right to be an intern. You're literally working, making money for a hospital while paying for the right to learn that skill. So how come on the top level of professions, we tell people that they have to pay for the right to work. And on the bottom level, we don't. That's so good. That's really good.
0: I think that that's, that's a really smart thing to say because I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. you.
1: I, I taught for my instructor for years for free, just, as an intern and that's how it is in martial arts you you come up learning a skill and even today people don't even think kids should work it's like oh kids kids shouldn't work um unless they really want to well i i take the farmer's approach my my kids have the most blessed life in the world and they'll tell you that but i take the farmer's approach if you're a farmer what's your kid a farmer kid's a farmer And what if somebody goes to you, because people ask me this all the time. They used to ask me this about martial arts, and they asked me about YouTube and everything. Well, what if your kids don't want to do it? Well, first of all, we have a really positive environment. So that's not really an issue very often. But what if you're a farmer, and does somebody come and say, well, what if your kid doesn't want to be a farmer? What are you going to say? Well, that's life. Being a farmer is life. If they're not a farmer, they don't live. That's how they get food. That's how they have a place to live. So it doesn't make sense to say, what if they don't wanna be a farmer? That's like saying, what if they don't want to exist? And once they move out, they don't have to be a farmer anymore if they don't want to be, but kids need to be working with their parents. They need to be doing that stuff. Um, it, It doesn't have to be stuff that makes money, but it has to be stuff that contributes. And if you're not having your kid contribute, you're not fulfilling your parental duties.
0: Thank you for sharing your American story. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Shane's story is about overcoming life's obstacles through grit and sure determination culminating in the American dream. We are a country of endless opportunities and you decide your ceiling. That wraps up another episode of We the People, Our American Story. Don't miss a single episode, subscribe, leave a review and let your friends and family know. I'll be back next Friday with another amazing episode. See you then.